It's Thursday, June 13th, 2019, and you're listening to episode 516 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is one hour and four minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Wayne. And my name's Chad. All right, so we got a topic we're going to talk about today. Obviously, otherwise we wouldn't be doing this, but... I don't, that's not always the case. No, that is. <laughs> that's how we end up with negative episodes or bonus episodes or whatever. But and sometimes we have a topic and it still becomes a bonus episode. Yeah, or we talk for seven minutes about dogs. Yes, which we just did, and that will be dropped on Patreon. I don't even know as what, but it's something. But I actually have a dog story mm-hmm. that sort of illustrates one of the points we're going to talk about today about the differences that you sometimes take for granted about how other people view the world. And this is something that role-playing games, I think, are wonderful for. And indeed, there's some body of research to back this up, that role-playing games teach social empathy and sympathy because of the fact that they require you thinking in the role of someone that is not you. And so it stretches the boundaries of what you can perceive and assuming you're not a total like cluster B personality disorder, whatever can displace your egocentrism a bit, or at least stretch the sides of it. So, you know, at some point I want to do a topic on playing some of those type of characters you were just describing. How do you play a sociopath? I listen to this guy's a glass AP. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. true. Actually, that is true. We should get him on for it. You know, I, I think surprisingly I would be, the most comfortable with a sociopath because the other ones that are in cluster B like the narcissists and the borderline personality disorder and such one, they're not fun. Yep. And two, I've known too many of them and been abused by too many of them that I, I mean, I'm not saying this is like X card territory, but I'm saying I don't think I'd be wholly comfortable. The idea of playing them without playing it as a stereotype, I think would be interesting. We can do an entire episode on playing someone with mental illness because i have like a lot of opinions on it about how mental illness isn't funny but when you watch movies where you have people who are crazy not just i'm a zany guy but people who are crazy crazy yeah they're usually played for laughs yeah and it's like it's not funny it's a problem so. Either laughs or they're the villain, one of no, the two, yeah. or an anti-hero or whatever. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's always very simplified. Or, or my other favorite one is somebody has a mental problem, but it's like the the trope, which is completely wrong and ridiculous. Of if you're blind, you have the hearing of a bat, or your other. Oh sensitive. yeah, and it's like oh well, this person's crazy in this way, but they can solve any crime. Yeah, your disab- like, somehow your disability. Yeah is enhances yeah, other it, things it's, like come on we because we, it's just a dump stat right that right. daredevil's sight was a dump stat for his hearing right and so come on it's not, mm-hmm. anyway but all right so no my story which is along the lines of, of pushing the boundaries of ecocentrism and thinking through someone else's perspective let me tell you how i think memorial day went from my dog's perspective <laughs> <laughs> and then i'm going to tell you what happened so we were sitting out on my parents back deck they've got a pretty big table up there now it's much bigger than the last time you probably saw it and so we had dinner out there and i always take charlie with me i love how you said that it's like it's probably bigger than the last time you saw it like the audience the last time the audience saw your parents deck i look at chad when i'm saying that but don't don't specify last time you chad saw it yeah you know eventually that's another topic, but I, at some point here, I think we are eventually going to have 
an optional video version of the show, but that that's another topic for another time. So the thing with Maura Day, so we're all sitting back there having dinner. And after dinner, we're sitting around talking. Okay, so I'm just going to describe two neighbors here. So we have our backs to my parents' house. So there's a neighbor that, from this perspective, would be to the right. Okay, and then there's a neighbor who is behind their house. So they have adjoining backyards. Their backyard abuts my parents' backyard. And they have a chain-link fence that divides the two yards. And the neighbor from the right, was middle-aged older gentleman, goes down to talk to a woman who lives in the house behind my parents' yard. Okay, so he is technically on my parents' yard, but they're, I mean, it's a real right. chill neighborhood. That's not an issue. I'm just trying to set the geography here. Yeah. So the neighbor is on my parents' yard talking to the neighbor behind them. The people that live in that house behind them have some dogs. Okay, so there's a stranger on the lawn. There's a woman there, and then a dog comes running up. Charlie sees this. So Charlie, of course, does the rational thing. He runs down there, chases off or challenges to play with her. I'm not sure Mm. what the other dog. When the other dog runs off, he then clarifies territory. By this point, he's so excited and proud that it kind of gets his digestion going. (laughs) And then he comes back up the hill, all proud of himself and just all smiles and waiting to be rewarded for the great deed he's done. Now, let me tell you how this plays out from a human perspective. (laughs) We're sitting there on the porch talking about I don't even know what. All of a sudden, Charlie tears off down the yard, barking like crazy, and he's a pretty big dog. Gets to the fence. The other dog takes off and runs back the opposite direction, seeing Mm -hmm. Charlie coming charging. Smart dog. He then turns, Charlie turns, to mark his territory and pees all over the chain link fence to redraw the territorial boundaries, except the woman's right there. So he actually pees all over this woman <laughs> and is so excited and proud of himself that as she is now backing away and going back to the house because the dog just peed on her, he goes directly behind the neighbor from the right, hems him in, and drops a deuce all over the place right behind him, and then comes marching up the hill, proud of everything he's accomplished. <laughs> You're not selling me on this dog concept. <laughs> the sad thing is, as he described it, I knew exactly what had happened. Gross. <laughs> this, this is, I was thinking about this. I, I wanted a vehicle to tell the story just because it was mm. funny. But it does tie into what we're going to talk about today because what we're talking about, I don't know exactly how I'm going to title this episode yet. We'll see how the discussion plays out. But we're talking about incorporating new people into the social context of your gaming group and Mm -hmm. trying to figure out how other people game and things like that. And while role-playing itself is, of course, the in-game exercise of seeing how things work out in somebody else's head, if you are a healthy gamer, part of the metagame or table-level experience is the same thing, that you're trying to understand what is Wayne getting out of this game. Now, Wayne playing his character is an exercise in being in somebody else's head. But in order to really make this collaborative storytelling thing work, I need to have some sense of what Wayne is getting out of the game or what's working for him or not working and how certain situations are perceived by him. And I don't want to get into the X card thing again, but even if we do Mm -hmm. talk about issues of offense, which actually is part of the show topic, you do still have to be aware, I think, under any structure you want to use, 
you ought to have a healthy respect for what people's boundaries are, which mm-hmm. goes back to, to dogs not peeing and pooping on you. Yeah, or maybe they do. I mean, it's yeah, you know, I still have not decided how this all works out. <laughs> for a simple reason, he never left my parents' yard. I thought you were going to go with, but in reference of my parents' backyard is bigger than you remember it. or yeah. But nobody else no. has seen it. Uh, <laughs> I've seen it. Is it's it interesting when you look at role-playing games as a, a hobby to meet people in. Because the first time you're interacting with people, if you're meeting them through a game, maybe you go out to dinner first or whatever, mm-hmm. but you're interacting with them playing a role. And yeah. you don't know them personally, so you don't know what is them versus what is the role they're playing. And to be honest, you go out to meet them at dinner, and this happened, we're playing a role too, because it's new people. You know, yeah. you are putting on your best behavior, yeah. and it's normal human psyche there. Yeah. yeah, you don't get to really know somebody on the first date, and that's right. that kind of thing. Yep, and then when it comes to role-playing, you're getting to know them pretending to be someone else. So, gaming story here, where this is all kind of erupting from, is Wayne and I and Dawn's gaming group lost people. We lost Pat, unfortunately. We all know that story. And Beth, is his wife, our friend, is moving out of state. And so we're losing her out of our gaming group. And then we have a third person that we may or may not be losing this summer, too, because she's big as well. Who just discovered over the weekend that uh, we talk about her. <laughs> We've used her as examples a couple of times on the show, and she didn't know we did that. And she found out because we brought in two new people, and the two new people we brought in, at least one of them listens to the show. And I was like, are you okay with us talking about you? Not naming names, but talking about our experiences with you on the show. And they're like, oh, that's fine and fun. Our other person is like, you talk about me on the show? And we're like, we have a couple of whole episodes about you. (laughs) Well, at least using her as an example of the topic. But this whole thing came about because we're looking for new people. And we found a man, his name is Dale, and his wife. And he was looking for a gaming group. And he just so happens to live 15 minutes from Wayne and I. Mm. And he just moved into St. Louis. And I completely and totally stole him from Caleb. Wow. Yes, because... Caleb, you should free up your schedule and come join a game of ours. Right. That way we won't just keep poaching off of you. (laughs) So he posts on the Discord. And Caleb, who's looking for a group, got to him first and said, hey... (laughs) I'm looking for a group. Hey, let's make this connection. And then I get with Wayne. I get with Donna. I'm like, hey, man, I kind of looked at this guy. I'm like, hey, this might be he might be pretty good fit for us. And they're like, yeah, let's do it. And so I was just a little bit more aggressive. And (laughs) I reached out to the guy. I like said he has a website. And I went to the website and I found his email address and I emailed him and I got him. And I'm like, I'm totally stealing him from Caleb. Uh, Oh, well. But anyway, Remember when, way back when, when we did an episode on how to introduce a new person into your gaming group? Yeah. And my initial thing is, well, treat it like an interview. Sure. You know, ask them questions, blah, 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 back and forth. And then we did a follow-up episode where I was like, that's a terrible idea. Yeah, that's <laughs> it, really impersonal. It, yeah, that... it, it's dehumanizing and it's impersonal yeah. and, and it's awful. It is terrible advice. I think there might be some basic bullet points you can get out the same way you would on a first date. Right. Things like, what do you do for a living? And in the case of a role-playing game, might be... What kind of games do you like? Yeah, what kind of games do you like? Are you okay with high RP? Do you need hard Mm. crunch? What kinds of characters do you like to play? Yeah. I mean, you can get a sense for some basics. That knowledge needs to be exchanged. Yeah, without 
grilling the person. So, and I was thinking about this the entire time when I reached out to Dale and then he reached out back to me and we started the conversation. I'm like, how am I going to do this? Because I gave really bad advice on the show that I feel very strongly about. Like, I feel very strongly I gave terrible advice. But that doesn't necessarily mean I know what the good advice is. And so, thankfully, Dale, who is a really smart guy, after we had talked about it for a bit, you know, what kind of games do you like? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I like this. And I was like, well, you write, because he's, he's a game designer, too. And he's like, you kind of write these kind of games. And he's like, oh, yeah, but I play those, but I play other stuff, too. And we kind of went back and forth. Well, it got to a point to where it's like, okay, well, the rubber guy needs to meet the road here, to use a Danism. And he said, well, why don't we meet for dinner? Why don't you get the group? Dale was a package deal. It's him and his wife, which is absolutely, we yeah. are looking for that many people. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And he was like, yeah, let, let's meet at a place. And then that way we can decide if it's cool and you can decide it's cool. And we don't have to go to anybody's house and right. it didn't have to be. And so we went out to dinner. And that's kind of where this topic, I think, comes from, is how to introduce a new person to a very established gaming group. There's a lot of social context there. Yes. Because you've got in-jokes. You've got types of stories and styles of gaming that you prefer. You have certain expectations. You have baggage. They have baggage. It's a fair point. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I think would help in addition to meeting them in a social environment to mm-hmm. get some sense of who they are and whether you think you're even going to mesh at all, is I'm going to go back to something that we did with the Skies of Glass game, which is the questionnaire. Mm-hmm. And I'll link this again in the show notes. Now, this is not the group template, because the group template is a purely in-character, in-game exercise of who who are these characters, why are they together, What's how the do they get along. Yeah. This presupposes that the group as a whole is already established and functional. The questionnaire doesn't. Mm-hmm. The questionnaire asks a lot of metagame or table-level questions like, what is it you're hoping to get out of this experience? What kinds of storylines or plot elements would really well, upset or while, offend you? While a questionnaire is a good idea, they are talking points do not print out a questionnaire and ask them to fill it out well certainly not a, <laughs> certainly not at your first meeting right I mean, <laughs> we did for both skies of glass campaigns we did go point by point mm-hmm. through them but we did that at session zero when we were sitting around talking we did not do and we this. all knew each other separately yes. socially and it's just like okay the point of the questionnaire was to not so much find out what isn't isn't acceptable though that was part of it it was to find out where we aligned yeah because i'd actually already been on gamer stable mm-hmm. with eric brandon was the only one who came in completely cold i don't yeah. think i'd ever met brandon before and he came in later yeah and he came in later but you know we did nonetheless do that and i think mm-hmm. it's a useful thing to do i going back to your it's not a job interview right i don't necessarily think you want to bring this to your first meeting mm-hmm. but it might bring up some talking points that you just forgot mm-hmm. or maybe did not fully invite them to talk about, for lack of a better way of, of phrasing that, to say, hey, I really want you to tell me what is it that you don't want us dealing with in right. the game because of some personal and mine, or why is it you show up at the table? What is it that just really makes your night? Yep. There was definitely some feeling out on yes. specific topics going in there. Because I know the first reaction when we saw the website was, these are specific kinds of games. Is, and what's his website? 
John? Yeah, we'll, we'll give his website, and I'll link this in the show notes. I've not looked at it personally, but William shout yep. out. So. JohnBrazer.com. JohnBrazer.com, not to be confused with Brazzers.com. <laughs> um, so JohnBrazer.com, I will link that in the show yep. notes. Yep. So, like, one of the things we were feeling out then is, like, okay, that is a specific kind of game. Yeah, because we like some of those games, but he writes Pathfinder, 5th Edition Traveler, yep. I guess we'd call them splat books, supplement books. That's Maybe right. I can use him to publish my supplement, Gnarl Knows Knowles. Every word starts with a G, <laughs> including no. Yeah. <laughs> including Gan Nepenture. Nep- <laughs> no, I will. He, he did give a pronunciation guide to how the letter G is pronounced on Twitter, and I might mm-hmm. copy that over into the book That's as nice. like a sidebar. Because I'm going to do this this mm-hmm. like supplement of my take on Knowles, and it's going to be Gnarl Knows Knowles. <laughs> Maybe he'll publish it for me. But anyways, continue. Yeah. So that was the first thing we had to feel out mm-hmm. is, is that the extent of the games he likes, or does he like a larger variety? Right. We knew nothing about his wife. Well, D&D what is the Traveler is like? kind of a widespread already, yeah. so... It's a widespread variety type, but they're both very Crunch crunchy and, number Okay, games. yeah, so, they're, they're literally and figuratively by-the-number sorts of games. Exactly. Okay. Old games. They're not... They're very different than a game like Inspectors well, that's or... That's true. That's true. Blades in the Dark. Blades in the Dark, yeah. things like that, so... That was the first thing we were kind of feeling out. Is it strictly a, Mm -hmm. is this someone that likes miniatures and crunch and that's what they're going for? Right. So that was one of the first questions we were, I know we both were trying Mm -hmm. to kind of come out and ask without actually just coming out and saying. Well, and I, I straight up asked him on discord too, because we had a private chat conversation going on discord. And I tell you what, using, it doesn't have to be discord, but using any online medium, instant messenger, Facebook, whatever was very very useful in kind of seeing that initial hey is this going to work for you is this going to work for us sort of thing yeah it eased in that that social awkwardness a little bit it allowed us to go to the next phase we were able to ask each other a couple of different kinds of questions which we both answered to our satisfaction to say okay well instead of being a theoretical thing this is actually a pretty possible thing One of the things that surprised me was a lot of our conversations kind of boiled around they're new to the area. Here are the things and events that we know in the area because they don't know anything yet. You know, what conventions are Mm -hmm. here? What are the places to go see? Where are the best places to eat? Having that conversation of telling them about things also served to get into a little bit of personality. Mm -hmm. What are they interested in? That's the nice one. And that's, we really got a lot out of that, having that conversation far more than I thought we would. Right, right. Some of the things that I noticed, because we ultimately did take the timeline of this, like Dale and I had a, a Discord conversation. We met them both for dinner. Our whole group was there. And, you know, we talked a lot of social stuff. And then we talked some specific game stuff. You know, what are you into? This is what we are. This is what we've done in the past. This is what you've done in the past. Back and forth sort of thing. And then at the end of it, you know, there's a lot of laughing and jokes and and loosening up and that sort of thing. So at the end of it, it's like, I'm cool with it. You guys cool with it. You cool with it. Everyone's cool with it. Cool. Meet at my house tomorrow at this time. And here's the address. Yeah. And so we had a session zero. Now, the session zero is, I think, where a lot of the interesting concepts of introducing new players to a new group came out. And I don't mean in like rolling up your characters and stuff, but just observing the group that we had, which, I mean, Wayne and I have been gaming for over a decade in this group. Laura is our newer player. Dawn and I have been together forever in gaming 
since forever. And we have these two new people. It was very interesting to observe the in-jokes that the established group throws around with casual ease. Because they're in-jokes and they're comfortable and we know that they get a laugh. And that the new people have no concept of any of the in-jokes. Like why it's funny or what's funny about them and that sort of thing. So I had to really make an effort to not make in-jokes and not make in-game references. And I think that's an important piece of advice if you're bringing a new person into an established group. You want to tell the new people about your old games to give them a touch point, but you don't want to make that the only thing you talk about in gaming. You had your past experiences. They were great. They informed you. Now what you should be doing is you should put yourself in the mindset of making new experiences with the new people. You so need- when I saw you hit on this, the idea for this topic, that was the direction I knew you'd go with it. I think there is some value in continuing some of it. I completely yes. agree with you. Don't make all in-jokes. Don't make right. all Monty Python references if they've never seen Monty Python. Right. But you don't want to go the other route of making sure you do none of it. Yeah. Because you've cemented a group. And part of that is based on that to keep that going. I think the best way is tell a few stories. You're trying to give them some of the context. And then I found in one case, he was making an in joke because we had told him the story. Mm -hmm. So I think there has to be some of that still there. But I completely agree with you. If there's too much of it or... If, if that's the only thing. If you're yeah. world building and everything about the world you're building is based on a previous game, that's really off-putting. Right. Well, yeah, particularly because you're trying to integrate someone. You're not trying to hard stop, right turn, create a new group. Mm-hmm. And that's a very, very different sort of undertaking yeah. than it is to try and integrate someone more cleanly into the group. Something else that we were talking about at dinner, and I don't know that I want to get into some of the specifics we were talking about because they are verboten under our show rules, (laughs) but it's worth thinking about is general worldview. Yes. Because when you're at a con, you can sit down at the table, you can put certain topics aside and you can just focus on the game. If you have a group of friends that have been friends for a long time, either you must a agree enough that it's not an issue or B you've at least learned how to work around your differences or accept your differences or whatever to the point that it's not an issue. But when you bring someone in and you want to add them to a social activity and you're doing this for a long period of time, so it's not a one shot and done, it's going to come up. Mm -hmm. People are going to have table side conversations where they're going to mention religious views. They're going to mention something political. They're going to mention pineapple on pizza because it belongs there. So good. Yeah, I've gotten a final word on that. It is sealed and done. Am I have to tell a story now? No. No. Okay. Because it's wrong. No, it's correct. But the point I was making mm-hmm. is that you want to find these things out because do you really want to derail your game or the social cohesion of the group because you throw out a topic and it just blows them sky high for some reason and you didn't even see it coming. Having a social landmine is not a deal breaker, Mm -hmm. but you kind of need to realize there are those social landmines. Sure. And you also have to understand what someone's level of chill is because there are people in my life 
they are 180 degrees off of me politically and religiously. Mm -hmm. But we can sit down and do what you can't do on the Internet. We can actually Mm -hmm. sit down face to face and have not arguments. I wouldn't even call them debates. They are genteel, open-minded discussions where I'm allowing my needle to be moved, they're allowing their needle to be moved, and we can talk about these things. politics are done. (laughs) Not (laughs) usually, and that's my point. Your politics have to be a team. Right. I could go to so many environments and just name one of a couple proper nouns with no context. I Mm -hmm. wouldn't even have to make a value statement. I could walk into a room and just throw the hand grenade. Right. And it's going to blow the room up if people aren't chill. And you've got to know, do they have that level of chill? Or B, are they at least close enough to you that you can deal with this? So at one point in my work career, I worked with two people that were drastic ends of our political spectrum. They sat across from each other. I would just put my headphones on because anything that any one of them said would lead to explosion because yeah. they were both very hyperactive about their views and they couldn't just let it go. You don't want to have that happen at the gaming table. That Shouldn't was horrible at work. It was yeah. horrible to happen at work. Yeah. And the rest of us all just put our headphones on because <laughs> we didn't want to be in the middle of it. And outside of that topic, as long as politics didn't come up, they got along great. Yeah, That was the huge landmine that they just intentionally kept stepping on that the rest of us Avoid it. Mm-hmm. To kind of steer it in a little different direction, too, I think that it's important to understand, like, our group is very established. We have been gaming for 13 years, 14 years now. We've been gaming a long time. We've had a lot of people come in and out of it. And we have fallen into enjoying a certain type of game. And it is with an effort of will that we play different kinds of games because it interests us on an intellectual level. It would be very easy for our group to fall into just playing one game, one kind of way. Cause we know what we like. Yeah. And I think it's really good to get new people in because I had a side email going on with Don and Wayne talking about this, talking about, you know, this is what Dale seems to be interested in. This is what we're interested. In. And one of the things I said was we have our way of gaming they might have a different way of gaming. We need to alter our way of gaming a little bit. Yeah. Just as much as they will need to alter their way of gaming a little bit. And this is a good thing because this is going to create potentially some new way of gaming that sure. we're going to experience. Yeah, And I would say in our group, I don't think we have that fall into running the same right. game. We're not going to run a, D, a single D&D campaign with the same characters for 30 years. Part of that is just because you and I are both the type of personality that we want to do something new. Right. But I see most groups can fall into that. Mm-hmm. We just happen to have two people that always want to do, try a new system or yeah. try a new idea. And also, you do stand to benefit from that contact. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think really one of the biggest moments in Chad and I's gaming history was back when we were older teenagers and the group we had been playing with for many years was very ordered, Mm -hmm. was very big on realism, on internal consistency, but there was no role playing. Right. 
the the plots were usually okay, but it mm-hmm. just wasn't about an immersive experience, yeah. and it wasn't about that depth of experience. And then we got introduced to another group that was complete opposite. They were all about the characters and the role play and that kind of stuff, but the games just had no internal consistency. It was just right. nonsense. I mean, there yeah. was you couldn't get anything cogent out of what was going on. It was riffs only more chaotic. (laughs) Yeah, it was. I don't even know how to describe it. It's like imagine if you turn the charts in the back of a riffs book and do just a game of Calvin Ball and just Mm -hmm. just whatever goes. And the two groups, fortunately, rather than extinguishing each other, both enhanced each other. Yeah, I think there was maybe a little friction. At first. Oh, there was. Yeah, because we were unruly teenagers. I I will not lie to you. When I joined it, I was a little bit startled. Part Mm -hmm. of the reason that Jim started coming was he was to help me build a voting block. (laughs) (laughs) That is a 100% true story. But, you know, over time, what happened was both groups moved. And Mm -hmm. our games got to be more role-playing and more immersion. We brought order to them. They brought character development and good story to us. Yeah. And we merged those two together and we made it good. You know, speaking of story, something that I have as a recommendation for the game master of this game. Yeah. Because this is something <laughs> that's that, me. <laughs> this is something that I have fallen on myself already. Mm-hmm. I would recommend isolating the first part of the game. And what I mean by that is whatever you have in mind for a campaign arc or a story arc where this is where we're really going to start telling the story of these characters and things like that. I wouldn't pick that up until two or three games on. Sure. Because it's really hard when you set things up that, okay, this is where I'm going with it. And even if you're not super by the numbers, okay, you're pretty chill with things, pretty improv. You can still put some things out there that's like, damn it. Now there's a whole lot I've got to walk back or retcon or we've got to drop and replace an entire character. And the start of the game is now stumbling all over the place because of the fact that you were adapting to something that happened at the table. You didn't know that when this person said, I'm playing such and such, that it was going to work out like so and so, because this is your first time gaming Mm -hmm. with them. Well, look at it this way. Let's go back to our marketplace of ideas metaphor. You are running a business, you have an established customer base, and you are just raking in the metaphorical money here because you can cater to them, you know what they want, and you can be very agile and give them what they want. Now a whole new set of customers just moved into the neighborhood. There's a reason why when you go into the vast majority of ice cream shops, they've got a whole thing full of those little plastic taste-testing spoons. Uh So you can try a little bit of the ice cream, and they can get a sense of what you like and don't like before they go on to suggesting a specific thing and you commit to what it is you're ordering. And what I'm suggesting is do the same thing with the game. Find some way to segregate that first one to three sittings where it doesn't matter so much if it gets dropped. You're already expecting that this is a pilot episode. This is right. an arc unto itself. And if things go great, no problem. It rolls right into the next part of the game but if things are horrible then it's like okay this is not fail fast fail off yeah precisely and what i'm suggesting here Mm -hmm. is go ahead and presuppose it's going to fail and just be happy when it doesn't yeah so i know in my case no matter how well i know the character going in 
I don't ever actually get my voice until I've role played with the other people at the table. Mm-hmm. You know, because this is a character that naturally fits in with this group of characters until I know what those group of characters are like. That's what I really mean when I say I don't find the voice to it is I adapt what I have in my mind based on the group. The character I have in my mind might not fit with the characters that are being played. To a degree, when you're playing with people you know, you can kind of expect they're going to go a certain direction with their characters. The way I play that and I learn the character over our first few sessions is even bigger when you don't know how the other people play. Right. I have no idea what my character's voice is actually going to be in this, even though I have this mental image of the character. It's very fluid for those first two to three games, like Dan's describing. Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure I know what the direction Dawn's going to go with her character. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I know some of the other directions, but I have no idea the directions with these new characters until I see sure. it. And that's going to impact my character. Yeah. So off of this, too, you know how we sometimes pick topics because it's not so much that we need a topic to talk about, but one of us is running a game and we need some advice and we don't want to come out and just ask our friends for advice. So we turn it into a show topic to <laughs> yep. stealth. Get sure, advice. you just train, you change it to hypothetical. Yeah. I'm yeah. asking for a friend. Yeah, I'm asking yep. for a friend. So I'm asking for a friend because, you know, he's got a couple of new players and he's running this new game. Yeah, yeah. So my, we're asking for Dale because he's the, in the process right now of oh, merging gaming groups. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. he and his wife represent a group, right? right so yeah. technically, yeah, you're asking for yeah. Dale. Go on. Yeah. <laughs> so the question, though, is and really the whole reason I started this topic, new people, yeah. established group, new game, like totally new game. They've never played it before. Okay. You've played it once. Okay. What do you do with them as far as spotlight goes? My thing is, it's one of two things. You have the new people, you either turn the spotlight on them full blast from the beginning so that they can establish themselves. They can establish themselves as players, as people, as characters, and you see what they are like, you see what they're into, and it really sends a message to them. It's like, hey, welcome to the group. You're the hero of this story. Let's see what you got. The other hand is people are still feeling each other out, their social awkwardness. Do you not give them the spotlight? Do you let them see how we interact? Do you let them build into the spotlight? And God forbid, don't actually ask them. (laughs) never actually ask them (laughs) find ways in this case we have two people don't let it become factions right clicks things like find ways to get them interacting with other individuals Mm. do a hybrid approach where you take there's two of them take one of them and one of the established people and put them in a high tension situation out the bank well that's exactly what i'm suggesting yeah i was going to suggest a metaphor of something like learning to ride a bike where when it starts, mommy or daddy's walking next to you holding the bike upright. And then you get training wheels. And then eventually the training wheels get raised. And then eventually the training wheels come off completely. And then, you know, you have these steps. And, of course, probably before this, you had a tricycle or something or whatever that taught you the basics of pedaling and steering. And I would recommend something like that. Because I'm trying to think to the most mm-hmm. recent time I did this which would be integrating Brandon into the Skies of Glass game. Well, and that was one player. Well, yeah, okay, now it was one player. I think that the approach for one player versus two may be a little different. Well, I think I would still do the same thing with two because of the fact that if you're not real careful, you're going to factionalize. Right. Because 
if I take the two players and say, well, they can play off each other, well, I've just undermined what we were trying to do. So I'm going to take this back a bit to now explain the metaphor and how I would play it out in a game. In session zero, make sure there are useful connections for the GM that crisscross the group. All right, I got to make sure that Wayne is tied to Dale, and it's hard if Dale's tied to his wife, but then his wife needs to be tied to either Wayne or Laura or somebody mm-hmm. else. We need to make sure these are going all over the place. And so then what I can do is we can have a situation where I, something's going on. And maybe I do start with you, Wayne, because I've been gaming with you and I know you. So I say, okay, Wayne, blah, blah, blah is going on. And when you walk across the street, you happen to see your friend, Dale's character, leaning up against a lamppost. And you know he just saw the same crap go down that you did. And so here I am taking somebody I know, but inviting you to mm-hmm. pull this person to the action. Or I could make a real high tension of, okay, Wayne and Dale, you guys are running. You've got the bag of loot. There's three cops chasing you. Let's do this. But I would do something to start immediately bridging those gaps. But what I've also done is I've created a wingman situation where, Wayne, you are both a wingman for Dale in terms of helping him feel like it's part of the spotlight, but you are also wingman for me as the game master because I know that you and I have this understanding, so you're going to help him get a feel for what it is I'm trying to accomplish. And then once I see how that goes, does Dale do pretty well? Is he taking a lot of initiative? Well, now maybe I get a sense of, okay, now maybe something can happen to Dale that's pure him spotlight, mm-hmm. that you guys decide to go opposite directions to make it harder to be chased. Well, Wayne, maybe I have the cops chase you, and he runs into this great NPC I've got. And so he hits Fat Tony in his cat stall <laughs> on around the corner, and I give him pure spotlight that came completely out of nowhere because he apparently can handle this, and we keep building that. But... On the flip side, if he really seems uncertain and he's Mm -hmm. backing away and really deferring to you for a lot, well, then apparently I need to keep his spotlight either always with a wingman or in small doses. Until he gets comfortable. Yeah, until he gets comfortable. And then I can branch out from there as we start to build that understanding. Mm -hmm. It's like, I don't know, there's social situations outside of gaming that are like this. One of the worst things you can do is walk into a situation where somebody feels out of place and abandon them. Yeah. Whether it's the nervous kid at the eighth grade dance, whether it's you're trying to introduce a new boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever to your family. Worst thing you do is take somebody to a family reunion where, you know, a hundred people, they know no (laughs) one. And you're like, have fun. And you walk off. I mean, that's a real dick move. I mean, I don't know. Is there an open bar? Oh, yeah. I mean, (laughs) that's the great, great out for anything. You know what I mean, though? I mean, it's you always want to give somebody something to lean on, some kind of safety net there to fall back to until they really start to find their own wings. And they realize, oh, okay, he's hitting it off weirdly well with Aunt Larry, Mm -hmm. and we're just going to roll with that. And so I can walk away. You know, they're having they're having a conversation about some TV show I don't even watch. Mm -hmm. And so it's okay for me to take a step away. But I need to come back because. If Uncle Sally comes and joins Aunt Larry mm-hmm. and things start getting uncomfortable because Uncle Sally has some boundary issues, right. then I need to still be there and kind of be ready to step in and make this person not feel so out of their element. Mm-hmm. And I, 
I confuse myself, of course, there with all the gendering <laughs> and whatever. But you could, I, I hope you still got my point yes. over all my flubs is that you don't just throw someone into the deep end of a social situation and expect that's going to work out well. Right. And even if they're the type of person that can handle it, someone that can't swim will drown without the waiter wings. Someone that's an Olympic swimmer will not be harmed by their presence. Yes. Now, you might take them off all the faster, but once again, it's not going to hurt them to have a wingman. Yeah. And I think it's a, it's especially good, too, because even if you have a person who comes out of the gate really strong and new to the group, they don't know all of the in-jokes and references and tropes and the things that the group tends to do and not do and stuff. And so they might think, well, I'm going to come on strong and I'm going to do all this, which totally worked great in my last group, which might fall flat with this group. And then that might leave a sour taste in your mouth. But if they're there with somebody, it can be handled through role play. The sort of social interaction is like, well, I'm just going to go in there and I'm going to rip the garden half and it's going to be great. Like, well, why don't we try and talk to him? Yeah. You know, and that is that is pure role play. That is dialogue in character back and forth. Yet it is one person expressing how they do things. And it is the established person saying, I'm not telling you no, but maybe this is how we do it. And then it goes from there. Yeah, well, and I also have found that in addition to counter-suggesting, which is a gentle way mm-hmm. of putting someone back in with the flock, there is also a virtue in letting their ideas get some traction. Because if someone's uncertain, yeah, it's hard enough for them to get that first line out, to get that first foot in. And if the first thing that happens they perceive to have been a failure or an a embarrassment, shutdown, a shutdown... Yeah then you're only going to make everything from there harder as opposed to rewarding. And so... Well, and you have to ask yourself, are you trying to correct a behavior? Like, yeah, and if not, I mean, maybe it's like, just you need to get the pull out of your ass and adjust right. a bit and just yeah. accept I, I mean, well, they, people game in different ways, yeah. and everyone has to adjust. And I go back to something that I talked about when I was first joining the podcast. An established group has their own... You've gone through your tropes. Mm-hmm. I wasn't part of that group. I don't know those tropes. It's not a trope for me. It's right. new. That can be the case in types of characters you play. That can be the case of a new gamer who mm-hmm. hasn't gone through all the baggage. They deserve the chance to learn why it's a trope, to learn it on their own without being, oh, we do it this way. Yeah. And maybe that lets people realize. You know, the people that would normally say, no, we do it this way. If they see someone going through that, maybe mm-hmm. they do it differently than they experienced. Yeah. I mean, I point back to, again, earlier in the podcast, you guys didn't like seeing guys play female characters because yeah. you had seen it done so poorly so many mm-hmm. times. Yeah. Now you've seen it done well, and it's not an issue anymore. Right. But your gut reaction initially was, oh, no. hell no. Yeah, we don't do that. Oh yeah. my goodness! Until you let somebody actually do it, Talk and they showed you how they could far do it. We've come. Not only do we not have a problem with it, do you realize the most recent two female played by a male? So I guess we'll call them cross-gendered or whatever NPC or PCs rather that we've had. Have both been Brodor. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, talk about throwing pearls before swine. Holy crap! I mean, I, I'm thinking like, not only mm-hmm. was I against this some years back. But when I was in that easing out period, there are certain people I might have trusted. I cannot right. imagine having rubber stamp a Brodor playing a woman, not one, but now two women. Yeah. Yeah. Back to back. And, or- and when you look at how he played them, 
Oh, he's great. They're two very different women. Yeah. Yeah. And Songbird he, never hit any of the things that you would worry about. Marlene has hit some of them because she's a different character. But, but Marlene hits them. And sorry to people who don't listen to the AP. That's your problem. You should listen to it. Marlene hits the trouble button, the, the sort of landmines, accurately. People are like this. She's yeah. sexual. Yeah. She hits on people. She just but, wants a one-night stand. But that's not Brodor's, her. Yeah, Brodor's She's not, not unidimensional. She's not this. Yeah, Brodor's right? not doing it because it's titillating and he gets off on it. He's doing it because it is true to the character, yeah. enhances the game, and creates great RP situations. Yeah, and it's all... It's, it's not... He to, doesn't play a woman because it's an extra space to hide something. Yeah, well, Which is our initial happened. problem. It literally happened. Oh. What he has hit on with this character has always been either in its correct context... Or, in my opinion, the things that have kind of gone too far, it's never been actual role play. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's player-to-player... Brodor is Brodor. Yeah, it's player-to-player player yeah. BSing. It's not right. It's not something that's actually an in-character declared part of the game. It's just people at the table being a jackass to each other at the out-of-character level. Yeah. It's But, you know, whatever, that's just part of the game. We do that all the time. So, anyway, no, I think with uh, the role-playing... I don't think I'd go to either extreme. I don't think mm-hmm. I'd throw the spotlight at him, nor do I think I would avoid the spotlight. But right. I'd at least let that light pass kind of by him a few times and see how they handle it and see what speed they're at and what kind of help they seem to need. And I really like the idea of creating a situation where they're not going to receive the bad thing from the situation. Like, hey, we're going to have a car blow up. Well, it's not going to be their car, and they're not going to get caught in the explosion. But they have to deal with that situation. And they need to deal with it alongside of a established player. Yep. And the person who is receiving the, quote, damage from the metaphorical car explosion is an established player. So they have to work with an established player to come to the so- solution to help an established player. Yeah, I feel very strongly with the... about Which is why I'm going to have your car blow up, Wayne, because you're my guy. I feel very strongly about the whole idea of putting them with established players. Avoid the faction. They are going to be comfortable with each other. To bring them in, They we need to get comfortable with them individually mm-hmm. and then as a group. And I'm not kidding. I'm going to hurt your character. That doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> He's going to make you roll dice. <laughs> yeah. And he doesn't have to do anything at the uh, fiat level. Excuse the pun. I didn't realize it was a car pun until I made it. But I have a question for you, though, because yes. as we're talking through this, I'm thinking back on similar experiences. When I was introducing a bunch of new role players to mm-hmm. role playing, they were, by necessity of being new role players, also, therefore, new to the idea of being a role playing group. Right. Because they'd never gamed anything before, so therefore they had not gamed with each other before. And as a result, I intentionally picked very recognizable intellectual properties and tropes so people would have some idea what the cues are, what the implied social structure is, what the implied story is. You don't have to be an expert at D&D to have seen Lord of the Rings right. and know that orcs are bad guys, okay? Yeah. And so that's why we did things like D&D and Star Trek. Military yeah. sci-fi is great because there's a command structure. It's built in. Sure. That, that's very helpful. And on top of that, Star Trek is just, even the, the command structure aside, is just such a well-known IP. Mm-hmm. But with Blades in the Dark, hmm. 
Now, I know these people are experienced role players. All Sounds right. like a bad idea, doesn't it? Yeah, and that's what I, I'm not going to say it's a bad idea. But I, I want to ask, what was your thought process? And are you sure Blades in the Dark is a good idea? Yes. Because if somebody says, I'm playing an elven ranger, I can at least ballpark what it is. Sure. This character is going to be expected to act like and how they fit into the world. But I'm going to. They play. already know what I, as a GM, am expecting. I already know what they're expecting to some extent. At least one percent, but we're gonna play a bunch. But what does of, it mean if I'm a Skullandian whaler who turned cutter? Yeah, what the hell does that even mean? Precisely, much right. less how are people actually going to play out this weird sort of dark gaslight mashup of Lovecraft and Oliver Twist? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, <laughs> I, what does somebody play in that? Well, and right, one, and one I'm, interesting thing looking at the group, you have. Two players who are brand new to the group that have never played the system or the setting. You have two players that are established to the group that have played the system and the setting. And then you have one player that is established to the group mm-hmm. that has not played the system or the setting. So here's what my hot take on it was. Okay. Number one, and th- I think this is really important piece of advice here. It's the game you're excited to run? It's the game I'm excited to run. I was thinking okay. about doing Inspectors, which is, again, a very good touchstone. Ghostbusters, but without the proton pad. Sure, and every plot's throw away. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, man, this is really going to work. And I'm like, I just did not care. And for some reason, right. I'm reading a book right now about a 16th century German executioner. Okay. A historian found this guy's journal, a copy of this guy's journal in a used bookstore. Okay. And start doing research on them and it it's about life in Nuremberg in the 1600s following a executioner so it's all about like the criminal underworld and life in that time and it's very fascinating and so i was kind of thinking like wow blades in the dark is you know it's it's the world of criminals and it's the it's that's our thing so i was kind of getting a little excited about it and then i realized i want to run blades in the dark it, it's what gets me okay, excited okay so so your decision process was predominantly that Yeah, but why I think this is going to work is that when you make characters in Blades in the Dark, Uh you don't make the characters first, you make the gang, you make the crew. Okay. So everybody has to choose. We we laid them all out. It's just like you could play a cult. You could play the sort of extortionist type muscle gang. You could play vigilantes. You could play assassins. You can play smugglers. You can play, you know, they have all these different pre-made ones. You can make your own. We're just doing all the pre-made stuff because okay. yeah, sure. And there was a discussion that they all had. It went on for like half an hour of what do we feel like? And it was really neat because I got to see how they and the established group do decision making processes. Because it's like, well, what does everyone want to play? Well, that's not helpful. That's not helpful because you need to make one choice and there's six people around the table. So you need to have certain methods. It's a sheet, the gang sheet, the crew sheet, and we laid them all out. They all have different things that they do, and I got to explain like how the crew sheets work and such. Yep, that a couple of us gave our preferences. Mm-hmm. Like we didn't say I want to absolutely do this. It was these two are sounding pretty good to me. These two are sounding pretty good to the next player. And after we threw those mm-hmm. out, we we looked at it and said, okay, none of us said these three. Yeah, like take cult, those off the table. No one's interested in cult. And it's like, oh, hey, yeah, 
look at us. We all agree on something that we're not mm-hmm. interested in this one thing, which is also something that I take back in yep. my game prep of saying they're not interested in that kind of story. Yep. What went really well out of this conversation mm-hmm. was once it got down to the last three, then we got into the conversation not of this sounds interesting. What about it sounds interesting? Right. And we started to look at, okay, smuggler sounds interesting because we want to deal mm-hmm. with getting the things people can't get. Right. Assassin sound interesting because we want to kill people. Right. And we started to look at where are there overlaps for some of well, these. Well, it also might be a good place to take temperature mm-hmm. because I don't know her name, so we'll just keep going with my weird gendering. So with Dale and his wife, Larry, uh, <laughs> how involved or how proactive did they seem at that stage? Very proactive. Okay, yeah, well, there had, you go then. So, I mean, you've... Well, and see, that that's another data point there yeah. for the taking the temperature of the group. Very strong opinion. And not... Well, argumentative, also, but yep, they sure. have very strong opinions on this, but not that. Well, but, hopefully they said not just yes to A, but yes to A because. Which yeah, well, should, even a, better, she was like, yes to A because I want to be this, and right. I think this sounds cool, which means she's thinking about it. Right. She cares. So you she's already right. know. Yep, right. Those are, here's some things you should be, as a GM, you should be mm-hmm. writing these down. Yep. That if I need to get Larry to take the spotlight, this is what I need to throw at her. Well, and what's really good for Chad as the GM is we didn't just say we want to play assassins. Mm -hmm. We compared the three that we got down to and what we wanted out of each one of them. You just got the interest of the table of what they wanted. Yep. Whichever one they ended up picking doesn't really matter to you. Mm -hmm. You know what they wanted from each one of those. Right. So... They're assassins. They can get what they want from the other two as assassins. Mm -hmm. And then when you make characters in Blades in the Dark, you have a bunch of options within your character, right? So it's like you can play a leech, and a leech could be like this sort of weird, gross medical thing, or it could be this sort of alchemical bombs type thing, or it can be this sort of crazy, weird evil ghost devices thing and we had two leeches at the table and i know she was at first concerned that Mm -hmm. someone else wanted to play so she just gave up the character no i was glad i had played the game before having never played a leech you've said what you want to do is this so you're probably going to pick these choices on there what i'm wanting to do is completely different i'm picking completely different choices and it helped because I had some system knowledge, mm-hmm. even though I've never played that character class, to be able to say, we can both be this class. The really neat thing about Blades in the Dark, not to turn this into a Blade sales pitch, but the neat thing about Blades in the Dark, Dan, when you run D&D, mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm talking straight traditional D&D, you have everybody at the table and you ask, what does everyone want to play? If everyone looked at you. And every single one, now mind you, you're not playing, well, sure, we're doing this setting and it's kind of D&D. No, we're playing the rule straight up hardcore D&D. Everyone looked at you and said, we all want to play thieves. Every one of us wants to play rogue. We're not yeah, going to have I a mean... tank. We're not going to have a cleric. There's no healing. There's no face. There's nothing. It's all, the- well, yeah, I guess I could run a thieves guild game. Yeah, but it, the game isn't made for that. Right. Cool thing about Blades in the Dark is... I was able to look at them and tell them, don't try to engineer the group. We don't need this kind of character. We don't. Everyone can be the same character. You can have multiple. Look at what you want to play. Play what is cool. Play what interests you. 
which allowed me to see what interests them. Hmm. That gave me a little bit of insight into what kind of characters they generally. Now it's just one character, obviously. They, sure, they, sure, they, yeah, they're somewhere. More. Yeah. Well, and we did have the conversation before the game as well of what are the things you want to avoid because Chad mm-hmm. knows me yes. when I'm running a game. An animal's not going to be injured, right? It's just I don't want to see it, so it's not going to happen. That doesn't mean something won't happen off scene or something, Mm -hmm. but I'm not going to describe it, and I'm not going to choose to have that happen. And Blades in the Dark is good for this. Not hurting animals, thank God, but... (laughs) They have a really detailed animal cruelty system. Chapter 4, weird. PETA blew their lid. But (laughs) we went around the table with all of that. This is not just my... Right, right. We now know everyone's comfort levels and what they'd rather not see on there. And it gave the new players a chance yeah. to get to know us. Well, what's cool, too, is that in Blades, you play bad guys. Even if you're playing vigilantes, you're still playing bad guys. Sure. In, to, a, to an extent, it's just different shades of how bad. And so it was really helpful to say, listen, we're all playing bad guys here, but we all need to be on the same page as far as level of bad guys. Like on a scale of 1 to 10, where 10 is Hitler... And one is stealing candy from a baby. I don't care. Well, we're not doing Hitler, but I don't care where you are on the scale of badness. Let's just all generally be in the same place when we're making characters. Yeah. Joker and Catwoman don't work very well together on the same team. Unless it's the Cesar Romero and uh, Julie Newmar. Right. Well, yeah. Rather innocent telling of the Joker. (laughs) Exactly. That's why it worked. But another reason I picked Blades, too, was... I believe that this might be hard to explain here through this episode. We have given advice on how to make this concept of new players in an established group, how to make that work. I also picked blades because it was a challenge. You shouldn't pick blades for this situation. It's too weird of a game, especially if the new players have never played it or heard of it, but I chose it knowing that doing it anyway, because I want to challenge myself and I want to show them that this game, which would be very weird in this situation, that they can trust me, that I am going to run a good game for them and I'm going to treat them fairly in it and I'm going to give it my best and we're all going to have fun in spite of this being a challenge. Now, that means I have to run a good game. It also does create, I think, a sense of the game being memorable. Yeah. Because it's not D&D number yeah, 580. It's, it's, it doesn't feel generic from the outset. You already know you're coming into something different. And maybe even that helps because people stop assuming that they can assume. Mm-hmm. They, If I said we're playing D&D and somebody's playing an Elven Ranger that defies all of the archetypes and stereotypes, that, that's not what anybody saw coming. But And so they're not watching. They kind of right. fall asleep at the guard post or fall asleep at the Mm -hmm. wheel. And I think to do a game that is built upon some unusual concepts, maybe actually in this counterintuitive sort of way helps people pay more attention and be more prepared for these ideas and be a bit more adaptable on top of it being a game that's, if it works is probably going to be a lot more memorable than if it was just some generic dungeon crawl. And I think also what you got to look at, and I realize this is idiosyncratic to your situation, but I think it'd be crazy not to mention it. 
you said Dale's been listening to the show. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's important to understand when people come to the table what they're looking for. He's listened to our show. He knows the kinds of games we run. He, right. I don't know if he's listened to the AP or not. Maybe he's heard the games we run. So he's expecting something in particular, and I assume he's communicated that to Larry. Mm-hmm. So she's <laughs> expecting something in particular. And so, I, I mean, it's like when mm-hmm. Brandon joined the group. Right. Brodor had to step out for work, and Eric originally was going to tap Brandon's wife, Shannon, I think is her mm-hmm. name, yeah. to join the group. But... Brandon had heard so much talk about this game <laughs> that he cock-blocked his wife <laughs> and took the spot because he was excited to give this whole thing a try. Right. Now, if he'd showed up, and I'm like, you know, now Broder's gone. I'm icing skies of glass, and we're just going to play whatever. Yeah. Obviously, I, I mean, even if it's a safer choice, that's not why he came. That's not why he showed right. up. Well, and while it is a weird game, a weird setting mm-hmm. and such... One thing I think Blades in the Dark has going for it for introducing people, there's a bit of structure to it, more yep. so than some of the other games that we play. There is, you're doing a heist. There are phases of it. Yep. There are some structure there. It's not kind these of, squishy concepts like in Fate where sure. you have aspects. and. Well, I guess also yeah. it's, well, the world is rather unusual. It's not as if the basic... Charles Dickens or Robert Louis Stevenson type Mm -hmm. character archetypes are completely gone from our storytelling. Yeah. I mean, we get the concepts of Oliver Twist and Jekyll and Hyde and the Suicide Club or whatever it's called, the Mm -hmm. Spades Club or camera, the story was called. But, you know, these these are social concepts that we still have. I mean, you get the idea of the Cockney cut purse or whatever. (laughs) So, well, and, Two of the players have played the game before, and I ran it for them. And one of the things that I'm going to do, and I even told them explicitly, I'm like, this is not going to be the same world. Your characters, your gang in the first game is not in this game. This is a complete reboot. And we are looking at the game. I'm going to be taking the game in a different direction than we did the first time. So the established players, while they may understand the game in the setting... They're not going to have all the answers. I might even, if I were you, throw one of the NPCs we've met before mm-hmm. because they're a canon book NPC right? with a completely different personality. Oh, yeah. Just to yeah. show us right away, this isn't the world you know. Mm-hmm. Just to kind of hammer that home. Right. And, and that's another thing, too. I don't want, again, getting back to the very beginning of this episode, in-jokes, tired tropes, that sort of thing, things that you know work with the established group. You really need to review those. You need to review your tropes, and you need to maybe jettison a lot of the old in-jokes. Not get rid of them. You don't want to kill the history of the party, right? but yeah, got to have context. All right, I think we're going to wrap this one up. Be sure to check the show notes for a link to it's johnbrazer.com. Okay, so be sure to check the show notes for a link to his website. And other than that, you guys have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. See ya. This has been a production of You're the Boot, copyright 2019. Listeners are free to use this episode in a non-commercial endeavor, so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. If you wish to support this show and its related endeavors, you can do so at patreon.com slash feartheboot.